finish out our series on spiritual boot camp, closing out uh, with the topic of evangelism, or if you want to look at it, being uh, a witness, and this is kind of dealing with a little bit of our purpose would be a way to, to define that. Another way to look at it is responsibility. I grabbed some things because I want to remember to have you grab them when you leave, and I have a tendency to forget, so I just said I'll start out at the, at the beginning. Uh, there's a handout. This is a print-off of, of a track uh, that picked up from another church, and I, I'm hoping that everyone will take a copy of this. We've, we've made enough that everyone could grab one and, and take it with you, and so that's one thing that you'll do. I'm going to set it here. It'll probably end up falling. Um, and then there's some other examples. One is our own church track, a spiritual journey. It's more of an apologetic track. Hope you'll take a copy of that. And then I have a couple other options on there. And I'm going to explain this in more detail. I'm just showing this to you now. Uh, go to that back table and grab a copy of one or two or all of them. Something you can think about that you say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'd be interested in that. I want to to read that. And when I get to the end of the sermon, you'll understand why I'm mentioning it now. And I did that because I might forget at the end. But uh, we're diving into this idea of purpose. Uh, We've worked our way through God's Word, through prayer, through church, and now we're talking about uh, evangelism or being a witness. And, And when a witness walks into a courtroom, they should be coming in with a singular purpose, to tell what they saw and heard. They're there to give testimony to the truth, They're there to give the facts as they know them. And often that testimony is critical to the fair outcome of the trial. But what happens when a witness is afraid to testify or gives incorrect testimony? Well, it erodes justice and it does not fulfill the purpose of a witness. What are they supposed to do? To tell what they know, what they have seen and what they have heard. We as believers are called to bear witness of the truth. We're called to take the stand, so to speak. I'm going to reread 1 John 1, 1 through 3, which says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was from the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And John, and we've preached through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, uh, the previous series But we understand John is repeating himself over and over again. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've handled it. We declare it to you. We're going to tell you about it. We bear witness of this. And it talks about being a witness. Our purpose and calling as believers is to declare what we know to be true about our Lord and Savior. It is to testify of his great salvation, which brings us to the question of responsibility. We are responsible to be his witness. It is our job, and as MacArthur notes, to tell people how to be reconciled to God. That's what Christians do. What is our purpose? To talk about reconciliation. How in the world do sinners become reconciled to a sinless God? 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Notice the next one. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And that is, uh, if you look at Paul's writing and, and the context, he's now begging. He is now pleading. He is now petitioning them to be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our responsibility 
is to carry the message of reconciliation to a world that needs to be reconciled. But I don't want you to miss a part of that verse, those verses. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is what we do. But as we examine this concept of responsibility, we must never lose sight that that responsibility is a privilege, not a burden. It is a privilege to bear witness of Christ, not a burden. Being an ambassador is an honored and respected role. People desire to be sent out as an ambassador. We as believers are not burdened with this calling, but instead privileged with it. So as we start into this idea of evangelism and witness, at the onset, I want to ask a question. And I want you to think about it. I want you to kind of process it and walk through it. Do you see evangelism and witnessing as a privilege of the Christian faith? Is it something you get to do or something you have to do? And that's very different, right? Is it something you get to do? This is a privilege. This is something I I want to do that I'm allowed to do that I can't believe I'm able to do. Or is it something that we turn around and say, I have to do this. There's not a kid in the world that says, I get to make my bed. They say they have to make their bed. And my fear is that we have turned evangelism into a chore like making our bed. Well, I'm a Christian, so I need to evangelize. I have to. It's a chore that God has given me. Or is it a privilege you get to enjoy to be his ambassador? Matthew 10, 32 promises that, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. And what an amazing promise that is. The reality is this call and responsibility to witness, to be his ambassador, well, it is important. I'm going to read John 16, 7 through 11, which talks about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And as I read that, I want you to see what his role is, convicting and, and, and all the things that he's going to do in hearts. And I want you to keep in mind that you're a witness. So if if Christ is on trial by the world. An unbelieving world does want to believe in him. They want to condemn him. They want to throw him out. And the Holy Spirit is convicting and working. And you are the witness in that courtroom scenario. John 16, 7 through 11 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, speaking of the Holy Spirit, (coughs) will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. Just in case you're wondering, how does the world respond to Christ? In unbelief. That's what they do. That is their normal response of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. As MacArthur notes, the New Testament shows Jesus on trial by an unbelieving world. Look, the world does not believe on Christ. And we see the Holy Spirit, the defense lawyer, coming in to reprove that unbelieving world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now we, his children, are called as witnesses to testify on his behalf. We have the privilege to stand up for our Savior. We have the role, the function, the purpose to stand up for our Savior and testify on his behalf. As they, speaking of the world, seek to discredit the Savior, we instead speak boldly of his truth and his loving redemptive purpose for them and for us. So do you see your personal witness as important? Is your role in evangelism and witnessing, is it a priority? Is it your purpose or is it relegated to secondary status? I'll witness when I have a chance. I'll witness when I feel like it. I'll witness when it's not awkward. I'll witness when it's, I'll witness when, but that's not the role we fill. We are witnesses in a trial that goes on all the time and we stand or are supposed to take the stand And bear testimony, as John says, to what we have heard 
seen, and let's be honest, experienced of the Savior. I'm not here, though, to say it's easy to do that. That bearing witness doesn't carry weight or consequences. If you look at trials today, there's a host of people that are fearful of testifying, of telling what they saw and heard. They're concerned with the fallout or the threats or the harm it'll bring to their reputation. The fact is, witnessing is a privilege. It's important, but it's also a sacrifice. Jesus warned in Matthew 10, 17, that they will deliver you up to councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. Hebrews eleven thirty six tells of those that had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. Witnessing involves sacrifice. Paul admonishes Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8. He says this, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Don't stand down. Don't step back. Don't be a coward. Don't not testify. But he goes on, But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. When you witness and you face pushback, that's to be expected. That the weight of witnessing that you partake in the afflictions of the gospel. Many people say, well, I witnessed at work and I talk about my faith and I keep that public and I I connect and I've not been promoted or I've not gotten a raise or I think that they're they're, they're to talk behind my back. And, And you say, that's not abnormal. That's what scripture says is normal. As one writer notes, to be an effective witness, you must care more about the world's opinion of Jesus than its opinion of you. Otherwise, you'll be too busy protecting yourself to proclaim him. See, if you're going to witness, it's guaranteed to be a sacrifice. If you're going to make that sacrifice, then the priority is what people think of Christ, not what they'll think of you. I know for me personally, uh, the hesitation to witness, to talk, is because you don't want to come off as a weirdo, a religious nut. I don't want to make it awkward on the plane, at least not until the end of the flight. I'm not going to start the plane ride with this. I've gone through multiple conversations on a plane, and and I sadly look back, and and I would be talking to someone, and I'd have enough gumption to start talking about religious things. And when they mention God, I'm like, good, they're fine. Let's go on to something else like football, things that don't create problems or tension. Or awkwardness. But here's the reality. When you witness, it will be awkward. It's going to feel weird to the world to hear about Christ. Because they don't want to. And you confront them then with the reality of eternity, with the reality of their sin, with the reality of their non-righteousness, with the reality that they need a redeemer, that Christ came and died for their sins. It's always awkward. And if you're concerned with how that person sitting next to you that you'll never see again in your life thinks of you for the five, six, two-hour plane ride, and I use the plane illustration because you're trapped in a a floating device in the air, well, if I'm concerned with how they think of me, well, then I'm definitely not going to witness. And I've been a coward. I mean, I've I've had gospel literature that I literally wait till we're deplaning, like everyone's gone in front of us and I've got this guy trapped in here. I'm like, hey, you want this? Thanks. See you later. That's how cowardly I've been. Why? Why am I a coward? Because I care more about his opinion of me than his opinion of Christ. Because I've picked me above him. I am too busy protecting myself to proclaim Christ. I say all that because witnessing is a sacrifice and there's no way around that. Hopefully we can see that we have a clear responsibility, a responsibility that is an amazing privilege, is important, and will involve sacrifice. The question, though, is, do we have the right perspective of our responsibility? I think too often we view that responsibility to witness as a burden and not a privilege. It's what I have to do 
because I'm saved. It's what I have to do because I know deep down it's the most important thing and nothing else could be more important. I have to tell people about this. But the fact is, Scripture shows that I get to tell people about this. I get to take the stand for Christ. He chooses to use my life to proclaim his glory. He's going to work through us. That's one of our roles, and it is a privilege, but too often I think we see it as a burden. Too often we see it as secondary and not crucial. If after talking through the NFL and its long-storied history, and I've briefly touched on baseball and maybe a little basketball, if there's still more time on this plane ride, I'll talk about Jesus. Because if I get to it, great. But you know, I just ran out of time. I was building up to it, and I didn't quite get there. Why? Because it's secondary, not crucial. It's not the most important thing on my mind. It's just something I have to get off my mind so I can feel good about myself. And sadly, we say it's not worth personal sacrifice. And let's be honest, what sacrifice do we pay? Uh, The sacrifice of awkwardness. I still remember being on a plane. I've shared this before. Another man is sharing with this lady about Christ. I'm a row behind him and I feel awkward. I'm a believer and I'm feeling awkward because she didn't want to hear about Jesus. But he was going to share about Jesus. And I'm like, you novice, man. The plane hasn't even taken off. We're flying to Holland. You've got time, buddy. Chill it. But he's not. And I look at it and I remember in my mind thinking, man, he's made that awkward. I'm like, no, it's awkward because the world doesn't want to hear about Jesus Christ. He actually presented the gospel beautifully. He was connective, gregarious. He's talking. She wanted nothing to do with the gospel. But you know what? It was crucial to him. The plane hadn't even taken off. And he's sharing the gospel. Why? Well, because it's important and it was worth the personal sacrifice. Which drives us now to the question of necessity. Is this something that needs to be done and done by everyone? By that I mean every believer. Is it optional or a must? Well, as is easy to see from Scripture, uh, it is a command. The Great Commission leaves no room for doubt. It it gives clear marching orders. I'm going to read it, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. (coughs) And that word power involves ability, but also speaks to authority. I have all the power, I have all the ability, and I have all the authority. And then he gives some instructions. And notice he doesn't say, please. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. Get out there and preach the gospel. Preach the whole gospel. Preach everything. That goes against my little, they mentioned God, so everything should be fine in their life mentality. Because his go and teach all nations the complete God. The three in one. Don't leave anything out. Then he goes on, teaching them to observe all things. In other words, discipleship. Preach the gospel and follow up on the gospel. So that they know how to obey and in in what things. He doesn't give you four. He says all. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. In other words, I am going to constantly be with you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. But I want us to see something. These were not suggestions. Go if you feel like it. Go if it's not awkward. No, go. And then what are you supposed to do? Teach. What are you supposed to teach? The complete counsel of God, the full gospel, everything. We're not looking for a quick shortcut. We're we're, we're giving in completion. What if someone is saved? Make sure that you teach them now to observe all things, to obey, to follow through, to disciple them. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth, (coughs) which means proclaim, the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Peter has a beautiful way of, of stating it. You're commanded to proclaim me because you were in utter darkness and now you have marvelous light. And what's obvious about that? Why wouldn't you want to talk about this? You've seen marvelous light. You've known complete darkness. And now you see marvelous light. It is a command. That you may be left wondering, am I able to witness? Is that in my wheelhouse of abilities? That was one thing I always wrestled with too, is I, I watch some people and they're, you know, I'm like, well, they like talking to people. You know, they, they want a dialogue. Honestly, when I get on a plane, and I use the plane illustration, it's been almost two years since I've been on a plane, since COVID. I haven't been to an airport. Um, but I flew a lot. I'm a loner, and I just want to sit in the aisle seat, and I want you to leave me alone. That's what I want. The only person I want to talk to me is the person bringing snacks. That's, all <laughs> That's it. That's all I want to know. I don't have this driving compulsion to know about their life or anything else. I've said this in Sunday school class. I'm fine talking to myself. I really am. Stimulating conversation. <laughs> we like the same teams, the same food, same hobbies. It's great. I mean... It's a lot of fun. And I do it sometimes out loud just to, just to throw people off, you know, keep it interesting. But the fact is, I always thought this is not this isn't me. This isn't who I am. Should I leave it to someone who's more capable? Well, as we'll see next about witnessing, it is a capability of every believer. It is commanded and it is a capability that every believer has. So we should all we are all able to witness and we all should witness. Acts 1.8 states this, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And those are future, right? He's speaking to the, to the apostles. He says, you're going to get power. Remember, ability authority. So you're going to have that power when the Holy Ghost is come upon you, when you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. So you have been indwelt. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost has come upon you as a believer. So you've received power, ability, and authority to do something very specific. And you will be. You will be witnesses. And that's what he's saying. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have the ability and you will do this. These weren't, again, suggestions at all. We are empowered as believers so that we witness. So I go back to my personality quirks and say, this isn't me. This isn't my personality. And I don't know if God would ever answer this way. He doesn't care what your personality is, so to speak, because he says, I have given you power. I've empowered you, enabled you so that you will witness. And so he expects you to witness with the ability he's giving you to witness. I remember being at college and I moved off campus and rent a house. So my dad would give me money for my rent. Those are the good old days, right? <laughs> I need rent money. I need food money. I need, you know, you just... It's great. Why'd you ever move out? You know, but either way, my dad would give me money to use for rent. My dad's not the type of person who I came back and said, hey, I blew the rent money. Uh, can I have some more rent money? I'm pretty sure I knew that answer. I never blew the rent money because he gave me that money so that I would use it for rent. You have been given power being indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that you will witness not for you to pick what you want to do or what you think is better than what God has, has orchestrated, but instead you're going to get power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, so you'll witness. And then, of course, Acts 1-8 can be a sermon all in itself. you got a whole area. you got their, their city, their region, beyond their region and the people they hate, and then beyond the whole part of the earth. In case you're wondering, uh, Jews did not enjoy Samaritans at all. There was a tension. They used to walk around it. So actually, when he says, you're going to be witnesses into Samaria, they're like, we don't really want to go to Samaria. And he says, I don't care. You're going to Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. 
We're empowered as believers so that we witness. We are equipped with his spirit and his word, coupled with our life, transformed by his truth. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And this is building to an application. When your city is on a hill, you're going to see it. You're going to look up. You're going to see the city. When you light a candle, it gives light. It's just, it is a natural outcome of that. And so then Christ applies it. Let your light shine. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. It is necessary that our light shine into the world It's how God designed that his truth be broadcast. Can God have animals speak? Yeah. I just read in Numbers about Balaam's donkey talking. And it was interesting. I was reading some notes, commentator. And he's like, don't you, didn't word it exactly this way, but don't you wish God would use animals more? And maybe we listen, you know? Could you imagine coming out and your dog starts talking to you? I'm going right back inside. I don't want to hear what she has to say. (laughs) So God can make animals talk. He says that he can make the stones cry out for him. But he's designed that his truth be communicated and broadcast through us, through his children. We're commissioned to bring his truth to all people in all places. His truth it's all people in all places. And that includes your home. That includes Culpeper and Orange and Madison and your work and amongst the family reunion. It includes that. He starts in Jerusalem. I put here, do you see witnessing evangelism as a necessity, a must, or have you relegated it to the optional? It's interesting, in, uh, even in um, reading Scripture, we talk about God's Word and authority. And, and I know for me, it's very easy. I, I read a lot, and I like to read, and so that's not a problem for me. Um, but I've neglected memorization, and it becomes this optional thing, right? We, we, we move it away from a must. That's a very dangerous place to be in. And I know the thousand excuses. You can look on your phone. You can search it. You can find it. Uh, but... When Satan's buffeting and attacking, you kind of need it in your head for it to come up right there. But I know how easy it is to move something we know we need to an optional status and to fixate on what we're already good at. Reading is a forte. I have no problem on the reading. Prayer, on the other hand, is a wrestling that I go through. Memorization. I was great in college. Now I have a hard time remembering my own name. Just in Sunday school, because I know you guys are going to tell on me, I can't even remember what grade Trent's in. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I think it's fourth. It's fourth. There, I told you, my wife would look. She's looking at me with condemnation um, right now. I knew this would happen. I said, but I just wanted to get it out of the way. Better to sell myself short than you try to sell me down the river. So I just did it there. Sorry, Trent. I thought you were older because you're so handsome and big and strong. So, so you try, to, try to get out of it. But I can't remember. So I, I relegate memorization to the optional. We do that with evangelism. Well, I'm reading my Bible. I'm studying. I'm, I'm living well. And, and people will see it. But yeah, that's true. Your life will speak, but you're supposed to actually speak as well. It's not optional. Witnessing is a necessity. But how do we go about it? How does it take place? Well, that pushes us to the question of practice. The idea of witnessing is is often centered in testimony. And that testimony, by the way, involves the whole church. There's two things. It is corporate and it is individual. I'm going to start with it's corporate. This gentleman named Gene Getz writes this, and it's a long quote I'll read. Corporate evangelism is basic to personal evangelism. In the New Testament, the functioning body of Christ set the stage for individual witness. Personal evangelism takes on unusual significance against the backdrop of a mature body of local believers, Christians who are making an impact in their communities because of their integrity. 
then it is not so much the extroverted individuals who are often glamorized as the most spiritual because they witness, but it becomes a ministry of the total body of Christ in which all share the joy and reward of those who have the privilege of drawing the net for Christ. Our witness starts out with a foundation of the local church, which we talked about the church last week. The importance of being connected in the church for that fellowship, the exhorting and the encouraging. And we see that as a church lives out its role, it lays a groundwork from which we're going to see individual evangelism. Here's an illustration. I read about a certain situation that highlighted this. A man uh, invited an attorney friend of his to join him at church. The friend responded saying he knew another attorney that attended the same church and that man was the most crooked lawyer he knew. He would never attend that church, he said. I'll never go to church there. This person who had invited the lawyer friend went and told his pastor about it, just sharing it. The pastor, after hearing about it, was bothered so much that the next Sunday, and it was a large church, so they didn't know exactly who the person was, wasn't named. He stood up in church and said this, whoever you are, he said, I wish you'd get your life cleaned up because you're making it very hard for the others to witness. That's a real life illustration. And here's the fact of the matter. You undermine the testimony of the church and you erode the foundation, the backing that God has orchestrated from which we can then broadcast an individual testimony. The local body of believers is crucial to the practice of witnessing as a pure church attracts people and lends credibility to the testimony of its members which moves us to see that the testimony is not only corporate. There's some people that feel that like, well, it's just a corporate testimony. Uh, it's not that it's bad to invite people to church. It's great. You should do so. But it doesn't end there. The church lends credibility to the testimony of the people in the church. Thus, it is corporate. It is also individual. We are all to be in the individual practice of witnessing. We are his ambassadors and we carry his message. So how do you go about sharing his message? How does that unfold? Well, it's two parts. One, we share by our life. You bear testimony by how you live. Now, sadly, that can be both positive or negative. When we're hypocrites, it undermines the message of the gospel. If you look at the Pharisees, they turned everything about Moses into something for them. And it eroded the truth and, and, and true faith, laziness, sloppy work. That's why Paul admonishes the church to do their work with diligence, because when you're sloppy and you're lazy, it's not just you cheating your employer. It's you cheating God of a correct testimony. Or what about people who are dishonest? All of those things hurt the testimony of Christ. Yet when our life is positive, when we do right, as 1 Peter 2.15 notes, we silence the ignorance of foolish men. What are we doing again? Your life talks of Christ. It talks of God. And so when we live as we should, what are ignorant men saying? Well, they're the ones that don't believe in Christ, that speak against him, that try to discredit Christ. And our life now silences ignorant men as they cast a stone against Christ. And so the positive example now silences that charge. First Peter 3.16 says, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, so they're falsely accusing you, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So as you live a positive example in your life, it will silence ignorance it will also negate the lie that's told of you. Now, Scripture doesn't tell you, yep, it immediately, suddenly they'll be ashamed in silence. It, it's speaking of a general principle that your life now will speak to the change that Christ works of something completely different. As someone remarked, your reputation reflects what people say about you. Your testimony is what your character, your behavior, and your words say about God. Reputation is what people think of us. Your testimony is what your character, your behavior, and your words say about God. 
our life should adorn, not tarnish, the brilliant truth of God's truth. His message of salvation, his word, his gospel, his plan, his change. Our life should adorn that, not tarnish it. Which brings us to the other critical component of our individual testimony. We share by the word. Our testimony should be backed by scripture. Look, this is a a very practical step. We should have key verses locked in our memory. Like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10.9-10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. These are things that we're to know and say. We back our testimony with his word. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That answers a lot of questions, right? Well, I think I'm good enough. I think God should be happy with me. I think he says you're not going to boast, and that it's a gift, and that you don't deserve it. See, that's what the importance of backing it with God's word. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our witness corroborates and points to his truth, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's also important to keep in mind as we practice witnessing that it is dependent not independent, but it is dependent. We are empowered by the Spirit to be a witness. Remember Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you so that you will be my witness. So we are empowered by the Spirit to be a witness. That is our, that is our calling, to witness constantly. Yet it is his application of that witness into a person's life that brings conviction and change. We don't cause change, nor are we responsible for that change. That is the Holy Spirit's work. What does that mean? And I'm going to dive a little bit more into this, but I want to make an application here. There are people who say, I witness all the time, but it doesn't do any good. I witness all the time, but no one believes. And scripture is crying to you and saying, that's not your job. What's your job? To witness all the time. You're not looking at the supposed visible fruit. You don't even know what the Holy Spirit's going to do with your witness. But you're called the witness. He, the Holy Spirit, is the one who brings conviction. Remember John? He's going to convict the world of sin. He is the defense attorney. You're the witness. You're part of the, you're part of this process. It's the privilege to be there defending Christ. He brings conviction through the message, John 16, 8. And he brings regeneration. Look at Acts 16, 14. He does the work. You're supposed to witness. And that's not to be something where it's like, okay, I'm nothing. Holy Spirit's going to take care of everything. It's supposed to show you what you're supposed to do and actually be an encouragement. We don't know, ultimately, how the Holy Spirit will use our witness and in what way and whose life. I've heard testimonies from different people, and this is um, without sharing names, but I, you know, share with me how they, they open a library book and they see a track in there and, and they get saved from that. How did the person who left the track have any idea that it would bear fruit later on? How do we know that? Paul talks about that. We, we, we might be watering and watering and watering and watering and watering and planting seed, and we think there's nothing happening there, and someone's going to come along and, and reap the harvest. And we may never know, but the seeds were planted. How does the Holy Spirit use it? See, we start belittling our calling. We start lowering it because we're expecting to see the results. We're almost manipulating God. Well, God, if I witness 10 times, I need to see at least one conversion. That's only fair, right, God? Well, the fact is, no matter where you go in the world, you're going to see a complete difference. There's people working with Muslim villages. They're part of that village, and they're pummeled and beat, and they preach, and no one gets saved ever, and they keep witnessing. And I look at them, and they get up every day, and they witness, and all they get from their witness is another beating, another punch, another attack. 
Yet they get up to witness. Why? Because they know that's what they're called to do, and they do so faithfully. I put here, we must be faithful in our witness no matter what results we may see or be aware of. As one writer notes, we're to be available to him whenever he wants to use our testimony. That's the calling. Well, God, I've given my testimony plenty of times. I'd like to see you do something with it. We have no idea what he's doing with it. He is working it for his purpose and his good and his glory. But how do we prepare to be ready? And that's, I put here, let's take a look at a practical application to be in the practice of witnessing. So a lot of practical things. First, prepare your testimony. What does that mean? Don't overcomplicate this. Share your former sinfulness. Explain your conversion and its results. Present the gospel and wrap it up with an appeal. As MacArthur notes, you want to leave them with a clear understanding of the gospel call to repent and believe. When you go out to witness, you're telling them something specific. And they may mock that. I know people that do that. Oh, what do you want me to do? Get saved right here? Ideally, (laughs) But we're called to make clear, to present his truth. How How do you do that? One, be familiar with gospel literature. That's why I had those documents there. I want everyone to take a copy of the printout. I want you to read through it multiple times. It begins with a question about who Christ is, and then it's answered. I didn't write it. I didn't print it. I just copied it off a website, and they said I could. At least that's how I read the law. Um, so what... what What's the point? Read it multiple times. Not so you can just quote it to somebody, because if you ever had someone come up to you and then start droning on, it's like, are you just going to do this and then we'll finish in three minutes or what? I want you to grab it so it can be in your own words, that you understand what you're saying. You're answering a question about who Christ is. Who is Christ? It's a legitimate question. There's other examples as well. Uh, The one we have with the church information on it, uh, a spiritual journey actually kind of dives in. It's more of an apologetic angle, uh, but evangelism is apologetics. It's answering the question that people have. It's answering about the faith. It is the witness on the defense stand. And so it talks about what maybe some other traditions are. And um, this one, actually, this this piece of literature, a friend of mine wrote it, and he, he... showed it to someone who was an atheist and said, did I describe how you feel correctly? And the atheist says, you pegged me perfectly. Good. That's our goal. Be honest, straightforward. But it shows and drives them to scripture to find the truth there. Uh, there's a couple other examples out there. I've used one of them. What do we all have in common? I've used in uh, Spanish-speaking countries a lot. That's, that's one that really connects well there. And so I want to encourage you, get the one copy, grab some samples out there of some of the other ones, read through them. Some fit or or are more comfortable for you. I I want to know. Let me know which one is easiest for you to read and talk through. One is built from John 3.16. One is about answering questions. One is what do we all have in common? But but the reason I want you to get familiar is because that'll help you as you walk through the gospel message to to see what you need to say and and how do you connect it. And again, let me know. We can order some with your church logo on it if you really like it on those three. So we have no problem doing that because it's an opportunity to to help you uh, connect. I put here, be ready to start a conversation. And then for my benefit, I wrote, and actually do so. Get geared up to do this and then just actually follow through. A great one is to understand what they think about Jesus. By the way, it is important to drive to Christ. Because I've spent an enormous amount of time talking about God, and there's a lot more people that are okay with God that have a serious problem with Jesus Christ. And so I say, ask him about Jesus Christ. Who do you think Jesus Christ is? You can be so bold as to turn the conversation to eternity. I'm listing, what I'm listing here are, are just some possibilities that I pulled from a book uh, by John MacArthur on how to witness. So this is one guy's ideas. There's more ideas, all right? Uh, you can be so bold as to turn the conversation to eternity. If you're to die today and stand before God, what would you say if he asked, why should I let you into my heaven? Another question, could you say for certain that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? Uh, he listed another one where he's on a plane and he said, uh, 
he asked the lady, what would you do if this plane wrecks? And she's like, oh, I don't think you should be asking that question. <laughs> you know, that's, that's awkward. He says, well, it'd be, it'd be, uh, uh, you know, this is, that's a risk you take every day. It's novelty for me, but I'll be in heaven. Where will you be? And this is, you know, and maybe he can get away with it because he got so many more years and he's more polished than we are. But either way, he asked some pretty bold questions. That's a bold question to ask. That might get you booted off the plane today. I don't know. I don't know. But that, that's where you're confronting them with eternity. The conversation turns to eternity. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a, my mindset's more apologetic. I, I'm more conversational about what they're thinking and what they're wrestling with. And so I lean more towards, this is a personality trait. Who do you think Jesus Christ is? I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want you to understand. I want to hear what you have to say about Christ and where you're going from there. Uh, but there's, there's some merit to this bold confrontation of eternity because we need to shift the focus away. Again, these are just a couple from one pastor, one author. There's so many more ways to turn a casual conversation towards spiritual and biblical matters. My best way, and now I just say I pastor a church, but I used to say, my father-in-law's a pastor. What do you think of that? You know, boom, the conversation's somewhat spiritual. And they're like headphones on. You know, this is over with. But be serious, be prepared to start a conversation and actually do so because we're called to be as witnesses everywhere to everyone. Let's be sure though to, and I'm putting here, it's the other paper, to sense the urgency and importance of the message. We moved all the way through this. You look at John, he writes in 1 John, and, and he repeats himself over and over what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've handled. We're going to tell you, we're going to declare this because we're going to declare to you what we've seen, heard, and handled because there was an urgency there. Luke 14, 23 says this, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That is not a request that lacks urgency compel them to come in. That's Christ speaking in a parable. The end of 2 Corinthians 5.20, we know the one part, right, about we're going to be ambassadors. Paul, please, this way, he's, he's begging, stating, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And if you're wondering how the Greek reads, that's exactly how it reads. It is a petition. It is a begging. Be ye reconciled to God. So in the verse that we know that we're going to be ambassadors, we see the great theologian Paul, the church planner Paul, and he writes to the church in Corinth, be, please be begging them reconciled to God. He's begging them to do so. Scripture communicates a sense of urgency in witnessing. And I forgot to bring this other book. Uh, uh, MacArthur written a book called Good News. And, and in that he wrote this, we cling to the vital doctrine of God's sovereignty but don't ever let your view of sovereignty overwhelm or obscure the fact that sinners have a responsibility to respond to God. And we have a responsibility to beg them to do so. We know the sovereignty of God. We cling to that. We know that. It's who he is. But we know there's a responsibility. And we have a responsibility to beg them to do so. God accomplishes his reconciling work through, not in spite of, the obedience of faith from those he calls to be reconciled. Don't ever let your theology get in the way of doing what God has called you to do. And I wanted to give you two examples of Jesus Christ and of Paul, both of which are pleading with sinners to be reconciled to him. We need to sense the urgency of the gospel. We need to recognize that Christ was never casual about it, that his apostles were never casual about it. There was a movement forward, an urgency. I, I think of Paul and Barnabas as they come into the cities and the people try to worship them and they're almost frantic to stop them. Paul in Athens is looking around, looking for an avenue to share truth with a bunch of thinkers. How do you get through to a bunch of intellectuals? And he's, he's processing it. There's a sense of urgency. Two, pray for and seek the opportunity. One, we should be in tune to opportunities to share the truth. And then two, we should be creating opportunities to share the truth. I've got no more time, but I'll tell it anyway. I still remember I was in Nicaragua with a bunch of people. I've shared this before. Coming back through Miami, American Airlines decided to delay us eight hours. 
They didn't have the good graces to tell us they're going to delay us eight hours. They just delayed us 45 minutes over and over and over again, which translates to, because I would just park myself at a restaurant again, just eat, eat, eat until I had to leave, but I couldn't do that. I get on the plane. I've been translating for non-Spanish speaking people for a week. I've been speaking publicly in Spanish and I love the Spanish language, but at that moment, I hated it. I was sitting down, and I wanted to talk to no one in anything but English, and I really didn't want to talk to anybody. There was a lady from Venezuela sitting next to me. Why me? Of all people, I don't know. And she has spent eight hours not being able to speak Spanish. And she wants to talk to somebody. And I want to put headphones on. And I remember putting my headphones on and then realizing... I'm not supposed to. What a fascinating woman got to share the gospel with her. Uh, Her husband had been murdered by Hugo Chavez. He was high up in the government. She's going to visit her kids in D.C. Fascinating story. But I wasn't in tune to the opportunity. I really wanted to ignore it. Be in tune to the opportunity to share the truth and then create opportunities to share the truth. Going back to be ready to start the conversation and actually do so. But we need to be diligent to follow up. We need to set the stage. Fulfilled witnessing culminates in discipleship. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. A complete gospel presentation. Teaching them to observe all things. That is done through discipleship, through growth, through edification. Witnessing that is completed culminates in discipleship. Whatever God has commanded us to do, and lo, he's always with us, even at the end of the world. Amen. So I put this, let's build relationships and let's be committed to following up on the greatest news ever. Let's pray together. And Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together to study your word. We're grateful for the clarity of your scriptures. We're not left wondering if we should witness instead we know clearly we're commanded to witness. We're not left wondering if we're able to witness. You've clearly empowered us to witness. We have the privilege to come alongside the Holy Spirit, to be used by him, to convict this world of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. Give us the, the fortitude and strength to follow through. Help us be serious about knowing how to present your good news, your gospel. Help us to be diligent in seeking opportunities, being in tune to ways that, and, and doors that are open to us, that we'll walk through those, knowing this, that we've been commanded to witness to everyone in every place. Help us follow through on the Great Commission. Help us desire to see your word spread around the world. In your precious and holy name, amen.